Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Mind Whisperer on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. It's Tuesday, July 23rd. Hard to believe we're halfway through summer already. 2013. Well, here we are, enjoying a beautiful summer where I am in Vancouver, Canada. And I hope you're having a good summer wherever you are. Doesn't matter what season it is. We can find ourselves feeling isolated and alone, even when it's beautiful outside. Sometimes that can make it worse. Not to be a downer, (laughs) but at the same time, wanting to address this widespread issue of loneliness, and it leads to a lot of serious problems, chronic disease, Obviously, depression, anxiety, <clears throat> emotional disorders. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, on the previous program, we were discussing loneliness more in the sense of isolation and how isolation, especially in early childhood, can affect us. And today, we're going to be looking at loneliness and isolation more in terms of our internal experience within ourselves, with our relationship with ourselves. So welcome to the program. I'm glad you found found us and we have a face on, uh, pardon me, we have a, a page on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash the mind whisperer. And on blogtalkradio.com, our page is forward slash the mind whisperer. And you can also find all of our programs for download on iTunes. They're all free. We do have a donate button, uh, which takes you to a PayPal link. And appreciate any donations, nothing's too small or too large. Um, That's on the Facebook page. And um, appreciate your support. If you feel like throwing a little support our way financially, um, we deliver all these programs for free. And there's a lot of content, a lot of learning, a lot of information uh, that goes into these shows. So let's get right into it for today. As I was saying earlier, the last program focused more on the social and emotional and psychological impacts and physiological impacts on ourselves um, through emerging research about the brain and, of course, more powerful brain scans and forensic ability in laboratories allows us to look at what's really going on in the brain and and the changes in brain state that are associated with um, early development or the the social and emotional impacts of our environment. And I was mentioning some key studies about um, how we were related socially in the world and how it affects our um, physiological health as well as our mental health. 
in the case studies I was citing were, for example, that during the AIDS, um, the first sign of the AIDS crisis in the 80s, there was a PhD student who was um, asked a very important question, which was, uh, you know, what accelerates the disease and why in the male, gay male community? And what he found as he sort of reduced down that question is that it led him to um, men who were um, not out sexually, who were in the closet, um, had two to three times greater um, development of, of full-blown AIDS from the HIV virus. And in fact, when you when he injected uh, norepinephrine, which is the um, neurotransmitter um, that's a, a, a stimulant, if you will, and it accelerates uh, synaptic function, and it's related to the stress response, into a petri dish with HIV virus, the, the virus replicated up to 10 times faster. So, of course, those HIV cells are not experiencing loneliness. That's not the point. The point is, though, that stress and the stress of isolation and the perceived sense of not being part and missing out and not having, and, and of course being stigmatized, have a profound impact. The same with a famous study on Romanian orphans under Nicolae Ceausescu, um, found that their actual cortical mass was decreased. In other words, the brains, the gray matter of the brains, which um, help us think and process information, were not as fully developed in these orphans who were abandoned. Um, and when they were subsequently adopted into homes in the United States, their uh, emotional well-being increased. So it tells us a lot about the, the very direct impacts of social isolation and loneliness. But today we're going to focus in a little bit more on the, the idea of loneliness as an affliction of, of more strictly of mind. And that is our sense of place in the world and our battle with ourselves. And I've, I've, I've been on this theme quite consistently on the program, looking at the overlap between our psychological development of, of self and our uh, character or ego uh, structure and uh, our spiritual relationship to ourselves. So the, in the psychological aspect, when we develop our personality, starting in an early childhood, many people are conditioned such that they have a, a sort of gap between their authentic real self, if there was not secure parenting and not um, attentive, loving, and nurturing relationships there, then there's a sort of neurosis enters in. And so uh, a, ch a child will start to display or adapt their behavior to get approval, especially if there's a narcissistic parent involved, or which doesn't necessarily mean a, a, an abusive parent, but a parent that's, that's even unintentionally neglectful or absent or um, gives us a perception of not caring. And so many of us grow up with this distinctive kind of neurotic quality. And really what happens there is it, it, it compounds the sense of isolation and loneliness. First of all, we adapt in ways which can make us insecure and thus uh, become socially isolated. 
And also, it uh, creates a kind of separation from ourselves. And so we have this sort of double bind of where do we fit in the world. And so today I wanted to just address that sense of pervasive loneliness and longing for completion. And we can certainly see this in in our uh, interpersonal relationships, and it creates a kind of codependent behavior where we there's a neediness or controlling aspect of, of compulsion to be connected. And you can see this in, in certain personality disorders. But if it's not so uh, intensely expressed to a full-blown personality disorder or emotional disorder, it can still um, be very uh, difficult influence on our on our lives. And, you know, I, I believe this is, and of course all the research points to why the divorce rate is so high, why we have an over 50% divorce rate. And, and that's because people are not approaching marriage from a place of equanimity with their with their potential partner. There's a compulsion underneath. There's a sense of um, brokenness within themselves that needs to be ameliorated first before you can form that healthy whole relationship. So from... Um, the point of view of spiritual practice, which really is a spite, you know, I look at it as a psychological practice or a wholeness practice with ourselves. From the Buddhist point of view, meditation is creating that nurturing uh, space, that container, what's called the cradle of loving kindness, where we can embrace ourselves simply by witnessing simply by allowing some space to open up between that claustrophobic feeling of resting with ourselves and feeling out of sorts and seeing the workings of our own minds and having a kind of kind and benevolent, um, unconditional friendliness, as it's called, uh, but that nurturing parental kind of role, that gentleness uh, with ourselves, to observe that this is just the nature of, of, of mind, not my mind necessarily, and not to personalize that and attach personal meaning to that, but to recognize that that's what the nature of mind and ego is. And that we have to work with um, the beautiful and intricate uh, natural design of our brain to refine our consciousness. You can kind of look at it like having a... Uh, a you know a garden or um, a beautiful home that you purchased or um, you know the bones are all there basically it's it's good as it is and there's not this sense of um, wanting to tear it all apart or that fundamentally there's something wrong with it and so it, it's more of an opportunity for us to cultivate what is there and to work with that and in the process of that we develop a kinder relationship towards ourselves. And I've said this previously on the program that the uh, the word metta, uh, which translates roughly into unconditional friendliness or loving kindness. And so this becomes a way to certainly counteract if there was real social isolation and its impact on us developmentally, and how our personality evolves and how our 
uh, emotional um, and, and uh, cognitive ability develops, and certainly our social abilities later in life, you can see people who are remain isolated, remain disconnected socially, have a hard time adapting and creating friendships and connections. And, and certainly, you know, social and economic conditions um, can work against people that way. But it's really the impact of the social isolation. I worked in frontline mental health in a um, community-based organization that was a drop-in or a voluntary um, subscription program. And you could see the the uh, negative, um, destructive aspect of poverty and the welfare cycle on the um, emotional uh, resilience and capacity of the people who were not necessarily all suffering from psychological disorders. Some of them were a brain injury or uh, for example, fetal alcohol syndrome, so they were hereditary or, or I should say, um, birth defects. Um, but regardless, you know, if there's the existence of uh, what we call an organic disorder pathology, such as a brain uh, brain injury, um, there can be an injury to the psyche, to the functioning of the organism. And so going back to this, first part of the program, that has a genetic um, impact um, on, on young children. It can actually switch neurons off and it can create, um, inhibit the growth of um, gray matter and, and white matter in the brain. So conversely, we can look at repairing that relationship with ourselves. And we know that meditation, for example, Another and any any form of meditation, any kind of contemplative practice, once anything that quiets the mind, essentially or harmonizes the mind and body, whether it's yoga or aikido or meditation, walking a labyrinth, volunteerism actually, all of these things stimulate an area of the brain that's associated with connectivity with others, um, calmness, focus, a sense of well-being. And that's the left part of the prefrontal cortex, the neocortex, as it's called. So there is a restorative function to um, developing this relationship with ourselves and making it our new pattern of thought and action and emotional relationship with ourselves to be more nurturing. And in fact, you can see that Sometimes the more that people try to compensate socially for having for feeling isolated, and we live in a very modern, competitive world, especially in urban environments, you can you're around a lot of people, and you can still not feel connected. And so you see a lot of people going out of their way to be social, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it can still allow us to. Uh, that can be in sharp contrast to our internal experience, our, our self relationship. Later on, so we go out and play sports or go and do social activities with groups of friends and we feel we have a full life. But if we come back to ourselves and there's still this sense of false, falseness or aggressiveness towards ourselves, there's an aspect of ourselves that we find inauthentic, then a lot of that social well-being is occurring on a slippery slope. 
Well, that kind of covers what I wanted to get to in part two today. And I hope that encourages you to look at the aspects of your own life and where you find yourself struggling. It gives you some insight. I, I have a friend who uh, posted a comment on Facebook saying that she was looking forward to this part two of the program and saying, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's part of getting older, but I find myself wrestling with these questions more and more. And certainly, as we age and we go into what's called midlife crisis, we are coming to terms with our own mortality. We're coming to terms with what's called impermanence in the Buddhist teachings. And, you know, that's something that the ego struggles with. It, it's, it's almost like a child that can't comprehend that life will not last forever. And so it's a very uh, natural process for us to find ourselves um, in the middle of our life, contemplating where we are and what we've been through. But as always, you know, it gives us pause to how to frame our relationship with ourselves as we gaze upon our lives. And if we look at it with appreciation and gratitude, then we can be very thankful that we've had a precious life. And certainly if we've had difficulty and struggles and up until this midlife point in our, in our existence, then we can certainly work harder and dedicate ourselves to our well-being later on. And it's interesting to note that for many people, as they get into their senior years, just by natural evolution, if they end up having grandchildren, for example, that that becomes their focus. But I do think it's part of our spiritual development and our mature maturation as, as adults and as spiritual beings that we evolve more to thinking about others. And certainly as we wind down our you know, careers and, and um, you know, hard-earning years and active years, we can transform our wisdom and our, and our uh, life experience into service. There's nothing wrong with doing it earlier on either. But that can be, again, very fulfilling and stimulating and healthy for your mind and psyche and your body and good for the world. And it's antidote to the narcissistic gaze about, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves that we're getting older. All right, well, thank you very much for listening today. I hope you found the show... Uh, beneficial and enjoyable and I've certainly enjoyed delivering this topic on part two on loneliness and you're never alone as long as you have a relationship with yourself that's based on compassion and empathy you're always there and even in struggling and, and um, the pain associated with or the suffering associated with feeling that loneliness by putting your attention on it in the way I've described today you make it possible for others a little easier for others we'll talk to you next time on the Mind Whisper I've been your host Michael Gordon you can find my personal page uh, my professional page uh, at mindfulyoutherapy.com
We'll see you next time on the Mind Whisperer. Take care.